This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Was it nice to see the sun out this Sunday? Oh yeah, it's always fun to come to church in the sun, isn't it? Sure enough. I've already been ribbed a whole bunch of times about the fact that though I'm a big-time Steeler fan, I'm not actually wearing Steeler. I don't even own any Steeler gear. Can you believe that? Well, it's Super Bowl Sunday, and you know what that means? It means it's also Anniversary Sunday for New Life. That's a big deal. That's a very, very big deal. Thirteen years ago... On the first Sunday in February, there were about 50 of us who gathered, clinging to a promise that God had made, that he had a vision for this church, and that if we would go on a great journey of faith with him, that he would change hundreds, perhaps even thousands of lives in this community. We didn't know what to expect. It was a day very much unlike today. It was the worst weather day of the year. It was terrible. It was blowing. It was raining. The the rain was coming down in sheets. It was anything but today. And uh, so we hung on to that promise. And you know, looking back over 13 years, it's been an amazing journey. I want to share with you just one story out of that 13 years. It was a young lady who was coming to church here, and uh, she had grown up in a church and had wandered away from church, and then in her early 20s had decided to reconnect with Christ, and someone had invited her to come to New Life, and she came to New Life and uh, really started getting connected with God and connected with Christ, and it was making a huge difference in her life, and she was dating a guy who was in the military service who was stationed in Spain. So what was she going to do? Well, back in those days, um, we didn't have podcasts. So she started sending him every week a recording of the message. And every week in Spain, he would listen to the recording of the message. And in the process, he decided to become a Christian, give his heart and life to Christ. He found a pastor in Spain who would take him down to a river and baptize him. And so in Spain, he became a Christian. And a few months later, I got to perform their wedding ceremony. They now have three or four kids. They live in Colorado Springs. They have a wonderful church that they go to and ministry that they work in. Just one of literally thousands of people whose lives have been changed through this church. We are blessed. And the same God who changed that guy's life in Spain is ready to meet with us us this morning. Are you ready to meet with him? Yeah. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we're not surprised that you would faithfully fulfill your promise. But we don't want to take that for granted either. So this morning we come thanking you for 13 years of changed lives. And should you give us 13 more years before you come, we would trust that the number of lives you change in the coming 13 years would be greater than, than the number that you changed in the previous 13. Lord, would you give us grace 
to walk in that great vision that you have given. Would you give us grace this morning to embrace into our lives the teaching you have for us so that this would be a great morning of spiritual growth, of spiritual discovery, of taking steps forward. And Lord, for those of us in the audience this morning who, like that guy in Spain, who have not yet come to a place where we have said, I want to become a follower of Christ, I pray this morning that this would be the morning that we could look back on February the 6th, 2011, and say that was the morning I decided to become a follower of Christ. Would you meet us here this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, to bring those of you who are new up to speed on where we are, we are in a series of sermons called Level for Living. And it's about how to experience fullness of life on this earth. Because whatever you believe, it will determine the choices that you make in this life. And you will end up investing your life along the lines of what you believe. And because all of us have this inner desire to experience fullness of life, we will end up looking for it in different places. And God says, hey, I'll give you the shortcut. I will teach you the truth so that you don't have to do the by guess and by golly thing to try to find fullness of life. I'll just tell you where it is. And if if you look up here, we've got level one, level two, level three, and level four. And as you look across the bottom, exploring Christ, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and finally a Christ-centered life, the one thing you have to see out of that chart is this. And that is fullness of life is found in our connection to and proximity to Christ. The closer we are to Him and the deeper our connection is with Him, the fuller our lives get. Now that's not intuitive. We don't just naturally go there, but it's true. And we've been looking at God's design for life and and how that looks in our lives. And, And so far, we've noticed three wonderful changes that God brings into our lives when we decide to become followers of Christ. And they are sort of like wholesale changes that He brings, whole new cultures and perspectives that He brings into our lives. And the first is the the culture of freedom. He delivers us from the bondage to any sin that would rise up and take dominion of our life because sin always brings with it a limiting factor. It always brings with it some form of bondage. It always limits our life, whether it's jealousy or anger or bitterness or it, it could be pornography, or it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be any form of sin, no matter what it is, it tends to bind the human soul. And Jesus came and said, I want to set you free from that stuff. Because in the end, you'll never find fullness of life there. And the second thing we noticed is that he brings a culture of generosity. He gives us generosity of spirit so that we learn, and I I know if you were here, you will remember this, we learn to live not with a closed fist, but with what? Open hand, right? Because this hand is ready to join the other in prayer. This one's not. This hand is ready to lift and help. This one's not. This hand's ready to hug. This one's not. This hand's ready to accept people. This hand is not. It's, it's learning to live with an open hand 
to everyone in our world. And then last week we talked about the culture of, of outrage, how God has made us as followers of Christ to release that, that naturally inward and selfish focus and to fold it outward toward other people. And we had three illustrations. We talked about salt, how that God has made us to be the salt of the earth so that we would bring out the best in everyone around us and in everything around us. And we would bring out the natural flavor that God's already put in them. And that he made us to be light so that we could light the path that others could find Christ and find their way to him as as someone lit the path for us. That we would be lights lighting the way to Jesus. And that we would have the fragrance of Christ in our life. That he would pour out the fragrance of, of his love and his grace and his mercy. And that we could live that out so that wherever we went, we took the fragrance of Christ. So that we could be a church that has tremendous impact and influence in this community and well beyond this community. So this morning, we're going to talk about a fourth concept that God has given to us in this level four living of Christ-centered life. And it is about fullness of life. And, and you only have to go probably to the very first page of your Bible to find God talking about this concept. In fact, it's wrapped up in the very first sentence that God ever said to any human being. So we're going to go right back and start at the very, very beginning. Take a look here in Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make human beings in our image and likeness. And let them rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over the tame animals, over all the earth, and over all the small crawling animals on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female, and God blessed them, and he said, have many children and grow in number, fill the earth, and be its master." Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there are three words that I want you to either circle or underline or both. And uh, the first is up there where he says, God said, let us make human beings in our image. Let them rule. I want you to circle or underline the word rule up there. Later on, he says, and God bless them, have many children, grow a number, fill the earth, and here's a phrase, be its master. Circle and underline that. And then the very next word that begins the last sentence there is rule. Here is concept number one. We're talking about the concept of stewardship. It's very clear that God created us to be in control of the earth and everything in it. That's his ultimate purpose behind human beings. We were created to control the earth and everything in it. And those of you who are sort of control freaks go, finally a passage for me. (laughs) Right? I get to be in control. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Because that begs a very important question. And the question is, from what mindset should we exercise this control? Now, anytime you place someone in control, you take a risk because you're investing in them. I'll never forget 
when we were raising our children. And you know, as parents, you get to that point where you think, how old do my kids have to be before I need to hire, you know, a child care worker to come and sit with them while we're gone? And so Monica and I were sort of in the throes of that decision, and our children were getting older. And uh, so we finally decided the time had come when it was okay for us to leave our children at home while we were gone for a short period of time that evening. And so we gathered them together and we explained how that should work. And just in case there was any real problem or a major decision that had to be made, we wanted the oldest child to be the one who would make that decision. Hitler had nothing on that child. (laughs) Finally, he was in power! We came home to mutiny on the bounty, I'll tell you. The mindset. From what mindset should we exercise that control? Well, there are only three basic mindsets of control. And the rest of the Bible gives us indications and hints and actually direct commands about the mindsets. So I just picked a couple of passages of Scripture that sort of help point us in the right direction. And the first one here is in is um, in Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people, belong to whom? Yeah, belong to Him. So whatever we're directing, we need to direct it in the concept that God owns it all. And Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy of this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Timothy, remember this. We brought, what's the next word? Nothing into this world when we came into it, and we can't take anything with us when we go. Okay? So let's talk about those three mindsets. And I brought along some things to help us understand that. All right? I like that truck. And the first is the mindset of a consumer. You know, it's hard to imagine... But just a few years ago, the word consumer was not used very often and certainly was never used of customers. There was no such thing as a consumer mindset. And yet today, we're so familiar with the word. What is a consumer? Children are the ultimate consumers. Which is why we have a toy up here. You take a a child to the store, and if it's a grocery store, what do they want in the cart? You you must have had kids too. Candy, right? You take a child to Kmart, what do they want to have in the cart? Toys, yeah. And if you say, "We, we, we don't have enough money for that, we can't afford that, they say, can we go to the bank? Are you out of checks? Don't we have more at home? Isn't that how that works? The ultimate consumer, because consumers don't save, they spend, they consume. It's the most childish of all of the mindsets that we can have with regard to how to live this life and be in control. By the way, do children ever try to control your family from the mindset of a consumer? Oh yeah, there are no children who are wired any other way. 
I've never met a child that when you took him to the grocery store said, you know, I have been thinking it would be better for me to have broccoli. (laughs) In the great scheme of life, I wish that you would invest in broccoli for me. (laughs) No, it's just not going to happen, right? Because children are naturally born consumers. And I've noticed that sometimes we don't really grow up. We just change our toys. What's the old statement? The difference between men and boys is the what? Price of their toys. Okay? Wow. Interesting lesson. Let's go to mindset number two. This is a cash box. I had a safe all lined up to bring up here, but it weighed about 70 pounds. And I decided that might not be a really good idea. I looked for a lighter one, and the whole idea behind a safe is you can't lug it off quickly. So um, that's kind of how that works. So you have to, in your mind, imagine this cash box is a safe because the next kind of mindset that we control things is the mindset of an owner. You see, a lot of us, we grow up and we go, ah, that's childish. I'm, I'm, I'm above and beyond that. And so we move straight from the concept consumers control from the sense of what? Pleasure, right? Consumers are about pleasure. Owners are about what? Pride. Oh, the pride of ownership. Let me show you how this works. We decide that when I'm going to control from the mindset of an owner, I would like to own my house, not just rent it, correct? And the interesting thing about owning a house is if I'm going to own a house, I'm going to own the biggest house that I can possibly afford, right? And I'm going to own the best house that I can possibly afford. And if I'm going to drive a car, I'm going to drive what? The best car that I can possibly afford. I may even go out and buy a car that will go 160 miles an hour, even though the speed limit is maybe 70 max. Why? Because it's not that I will ever go that fast but I need to have a car that could. Right? I don't necessarily need to have a three or 4,000 or 5,000 square foot home because after all, it's my wife and me and we're very judicious. We have only two children and God knows every person in our home needs at least 1,500 square feet <laughs> or it's not really a house. Right? So I've got to own the biggest home I can buy. I've got to own the biggest and the best car I can possibly own. And when it comes to going on vacations, we're not going to Lake Berryessa. Anybody could go there. Do you think about this for a minute? Because this is going to hit close to home for a lot of us. There's something on the inside of us in this mindset that says, I want to be the envy of people around me. Hmm. 
You see, this is all about pleasure. This is actually all about pride. Now, there's something that lies above and beyond that. I think I would learn not to do that. This is a general ledger. Okay? You know what that means? It's a reminder that we're actually supposed to be stewards. And when you're managing the general ledger for your company, do you actually own everything that's in here? No. In fact, if you take what's in here, are you in trouble? Yes, you are. You're in big time trouble. Okay? And the truth is, what did we study already? The earth is whose? The Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to whom? To Him. We are to be stewards. Because stewards, by the way, always manage and control from a sense of purpose. They understand, I don't own it. So what was the intent or purpose of the owner? And then it's my job to make decisions that are about that. And it's my job to achieve the purpose that the owner has decided for it. That's what stewards do. Now here's the interesting thing. Consumers believe that fullness of life is found in pleasure. Owners believe fullness of life is found in pride. Stewards believe fullness of life is found where? In purpose. That's the challenge. Now, before I preach the rest of the message, I'm going to pull over to the side of the road and I'm going to give us a minute to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves and say, which one of these do I tend to be? Okay? Let's just pause and think for a minute. And if you've got courage, you can write it down on your notes. As we sort of begin to aim toward the end of this message, I'm going to give you six areas, great areas of stewardship. These, I want it to be like taking an inventory this morning. And so we're going to talk about six great areas that God approaches in His Word that we are to be stewards of. And the first is creation. Do you know everyone in this room with regard to creation is either a consumer an owner, or a steward. Now, one of the great things about living in Northern California is perhaps more than any other area of the nation, this is a value for us. We lead the nation in recycling and going green and all those things. And you know something with God, that's not a political issue. What was it God said? He said, I want you to take dominion, be rulers over my creation. And one of the things that I would challenge us in, in our individual lives, is to ask, what kind of a steward am I of God's creation? Now, if you get too far on one side or the other, there are people who fret and think, I wonder if God created enough resources for us. And so they sort of live with a fear mindset. I'm not saying stewards, good stewards don't live in fear. They have confidence. God created enough resources for all the people that He's going to bring on the earth. But on the other hand, let's not be consumptive with that and wasteful because God wants us to be good 
stewards of his creation. I could talk a long time about that, but this morning I just want to bring it up to the surface, and, and, and I'm going to do that with each of the six. I want us to give prayerful consideration even about what we have. You know, some people, they buy new stuff all the time, and they don't take care of it, and it just, it just rots in their, in, in, in their ownership or, or their stewardship, and, and they just don't take care of it. Oh, well, I'll buy another one. Oh, well, uh, you know, I'll just throw this out and I'll get something. Kind of like everything in the world is sort of disposable. I have a question for you. Do you think that represents Christ well? No. I want to challenge us. When God blesses us with something and entrusts it to our care, one of the greatest ways we can represent Christ is to take good care of it. To be a good steward of what God has given. Okay? Number two. is time. Now, none of us knows exactly how much time we have on this earth. I don't know how much I have left. Um, I hope to be here next week. I may not be here next week. You just never know. But the truth is, all of us have been given at least this moment in time. And the question is, what are we going to do with that time? How are we going to invest it? Uh, A wise man once said, you know what time is? Time is the stuff of which life is made. Tomorrow, if God gives you breath and life, you're going to get up and you're going to have 24 hours. The question is, will you invest it in pleasure? Will you invest it in pride? Or will you invest it in God's eternal purpose? Friends, that's a, that's a very sobering question. That's a very important question. What do we do with time? A third area that we should take inventory is abilities. God has enabled everyone in this room to do something. In fact, he's enabled all of us to do several somethings. Question is, what are we doing with those? Are we taking those abilities that we have and are we just investing them in pleasure? Are we investing them in the pride of ownership about how good we are, whatever we are, at whatever we're doing? If he's given us abilities, um, let's say he's given us the ability to be successful in business. What are we doing with that? Are we just being successful in business so that we can climb the ladder at, at the company where we work so that we can get more and more money so we can buy more and more toys or a bigger and bigger house and, and go on nicer and nicer vacations Or are we stewarding those abilities and saying, if God has given me the ability to be successful in business, what would happen if I said to my wife and my children, we don't actually need a better lifestyle or a bigger lifestyle or a more affluent lifestyle? What would happen if we picked a good house and a good car and middle-of-the-road vacations and all the rest that God gave What would happen if we invested that on purpose in ways that would advance God's eternal cause on this earth? Wow. Abilities. There's another area that God has given, and that is opportunities. And the interesting thing about opportunities is they all have a window associated with them. They're only good for a certain period of time. 
Everybody in this room is going to have opportunities this week, opportunities to influence people for good or opportunities to influence them for bad. We're going to have opportunities to invite people to church or we're going to have opportunities just to kind of walk right by that and, and, and maybe we'll do it next week or maybe if we pass up that opportunity this week, it won't ever present itself again. But the world is filled, our lives are filled with opportunities. And Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus and he said, I want you to make the most of every opportunity. We have opportunities to serve. We have opportunities to make a difference. We have opportunities to come here and greet people. We have opportunities to go minister to children. We have opportunities to go on a mission trip and serve and build a house or work in an orphanage. We have an opportunity, you're going to hear it in a little bit, we have an opportunity for some of us to go to India in this year to, to make a big difference in India. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. The idea is that I wouldn't exercise those just in pleasure or in pride, but on purpose. Number five is influence. Every single person in this room exerts a personal power over the people around them. It's one of the phenomena of life. It's impossible to live without influence. You cannot stop it from coming out of your life. If you're breathing, if you're living, if you have any contact with people, you exert a personal power. You know something? Stewards purposely place themselves in positions where they have the opportunity, the time, and the ability to influence people for Christ. What a great thing. What a great thing. Last of all, we have material goods and money. You know, the interesting thing about this, Jesus identified it, and I'm just going to mention it this morning. I'm not going to give you any teaching on it. But Jesus said, if you can learn to be a steward of this, it will help you be a steward of all those. It is the key. It's a good place to begin. Because wherever we put our material goods and money will determine a lot about the decisions we make in these. You know, as we close, I want to give you one principle. And it's this. Stewardship is actually not a complicated issue. It's a matter of the heart. Take a look up on the video screens. Stewardship. It's kind of a churchy word, but what does it mean? This is stewardship plain and simple. Meet John. He loves to play golf eat Italian, and go to the movies. He has a house, a car, and a job that pays the bills. In his free time, he catches up on the latest game, and he plays his guitar. So here's where stewardship comes in. Everything John has, from his TV, to his car, to even his ability to play guitar, well, none of it actually belongs to him. Are you ready for this? From the little things, all the way to the big stuff, like his house. It all belongs to God. You're a steward of everything God gave you. It's a privilege, and he expects you to be responsible, not just with your finances, 
but your time, talents, and toys. So what does it mean to be responsible? Well, like hosting a Bible study at your house, or using your free time to visit someone in the hospital, or how about giving money to an out-of-work friend? It's all stewardship. So when it's time to give back, say the plate gets passed, or the children's minister asks you to serve in the toddler's room again, think to yourself this one simple question. Does what I have belong to me or God? That's the whole sermon in a nutshell, is it not? Yeah. I want to lead us in some next steps and then pray. Here they are. I will pray this week that God will increase, will make me more aware of my responsibility as his steward. I I hope that every single person here will take that next step because every single one of us could use an increase in that awareness. Number two, I will assess one of these stewardship areas in my life every day for the next six days. I want you just to take an inventory. I'm going to take an inventory and just start walking right down the list. How am I doing on Monday? How am I doing with God's creation? Are there ways that I could steward it better where I am and work my way right down the list? And then I will take a significant step forward in one of these stewardship (coughs) areas this week. And then last of all, I'm choosing to become a Christian today. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for stirring us. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for teaching us the truth. And Lord, would you increase our awareness that we are stewards, not owners and not consumers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.